Hey there, this is Emily Hoover, and we are so glad that you are listening to the Mission Point Community Church podcast. It's our prayer that this helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and encourages you to show and share the love of Jesus everywhere you go. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into the message. Today, we are concluding a series that we are calling It Counts, The Art of Doing Something. The Art of Doing Something. And Mission Point felt a call years ago uh, and had a dream that we wanted to be a church where every single person, every single person would do something to care for the vulnerable child. Every person. That's not just like one of those things we say like, oh, we hope of, no, no, no. Literally every single person would do something for a vulnerable child. And this uh, call, this goal, was what, uh, what author Jim Collins calls a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. It was a BHAG. We did not know what God was going to do in our midst, and we did not know what he was going to do through all of you. But we did feel like God invited Mission Point into this journey, and man, we have been blown away ever since. And today, this idea of everyone doing something for a vulnerable child affects everything we do. You can see it everywhere from our kids' ministry to our mission partners to the love ops we do for our community to care communities who wrap around foster and adoptive families to what we do uh, with Love Ed at Lincoln Elementary. You can find it everywhere. And so many of you uh, have jumped into this journey as well. So many of you have fostered and had adopted. And it's amazing on a Sunday that we know the stories and we can see as you walk in that there are families that are fostering or adopting. And we're like, oh my goodness, this reality is being lived out. It's amazing to watch. And it may be easy to think, well, oh, okay, fostering and adopting, that's only for a special group of people who are called and all of that. And it's easy to think that, oh, well, it doesn't count for the other ways for caring for vulnerable kids. But we see so many of you caring for vulnerable kids every single day. Many of you serve with our mission partners, right? Many of you are, are in, uh, serving in Lincoln Elementary. Uh, many of you are, are uh, there in a care community, wrapping around a family, uh, caring for them and their, their needs. So over a hundred of you, uh, have said, hey, I want to sign up for Care Portal and get real-time needs of vulnerable kids in our community so we can begin to meet those needs. And let me tell you, it counts. It counts. And there's a reality that we believe that there's so much that you're doing for vulnerable kids that we don't even know. And we're excited as a church to hear more about that and see how you're serving the vulnerable population in our community and around the world. And last week, we issued you some, uh, uh, some homework. I think Kirsten said we've never given homework at Mission Point before, but we gave you homework uh, last week. And uh, we asked you, and it's this card on the screen, we asked you to consider where you are actively participating in caring for vulnerable kids or where you can make it count for vulnerable kids. And so we said, man, this week, think about it, pray about it, ask God, where are we already actively engaged and where do you want us to be engaged? And later in the service, we're going to give you an opportunity to either celebrate that to say, man, we are in and we're actively doing this, or 
to put a stake in the ground to live out this mission and say, this is where we're gonna step in and care for and walk alongside and advocate for vulnerable children. And so last week, uh, Kondo talked to us about James 1.27, which says, religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Religion that our Father accepts is pure and faultless is to look after the orphan, to look after the vulnerable child. And the book of James, the whole book of James, basically says, prove what you believe by what you do. Prove what you believe by what you do. And if you've been around Mission Point for any length of time, you know that we take this seriously as a church. We have to be the kind of church that does not just talks. We desire to live into this verse, to live this verse out, where authentic faith, where with our authentic faith, we will do something. We will do something for the most vulnerable in our world. And kids, as Kondo said last week, are the most vulnerable of the vulnerable. And so we want to start there. We're not saying that they're the only vulnerable population, but we're saying we want to start with the most vulnerable of the vulnerable. There are 153 million orphans in the world. And just right here in the state of Indiana, there are 10,000 kids who are in the foster care system. And those are just the kids we know about, right? Let alone the vulnerable kids who are in difficult home situations that we don't know about, that maybe even some of you know about, but CPS or or DCS doesn't know that yet. The Department of Child Services. Maybe you're walking alongside someone a vulnerable child in those situations. And here's the deal. It's God's heart to care for the most vulnerable. It's his heartbeat. And what is his heartbeat should be our heartbeat. We read these words in Deuteronomy 10. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. We also read these words in Psalm 68. It says, sing to God, Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. And then catch this. It says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. I love that verse. God's desire is to care for the most most vulnerable. And he desires for you and me, for us collectively as the body of believers to do that too. He wants to use us to care for the vulnerable children in our midst. Jason Johnson, who is this really long title, the Director of Church Mobilization and Engagement at CAFO. Uh, CAFO is the Christian Alliance of Orphans. He says it this way, We're not all called to the same thing, but we're all capable of something. We're not all called to the same thing, but we are capable of something as it relates to caring for, advocating, and showing up in the lives of vulnerable kids. And I'll be honest that I'm newer to this conversation around foster and adoption and all of that. And so this week, as I began to prepare, I was thinking, do we have examples in scripture 
I mean, are there examples in scripture where people offer help, hope, and home to vulnerable kids? Because man, that would be really helpful to me. And I'm glad you asked because um, there are, and we're going to talk about those uh, today, right? And first, think about the life of Esther. Tragedy struck Esther at an early age. Following the death of her parents, Esther became an orphan. And luckily for her, her cousin Mordecai invited her into his family through adoption. And then we also see this in the life of Samuel. In 1 Samuel 1 and 2, we see the story of Hannah. She couldn't get pregnant. Um, she couldn't conceive. And after crying out for God, she finally had a baby. And she took Samuel to the temple. And guess what? The priest, Eli, raised Samuel as his own. And then Jesus himself. Jesus himself was adopted by his earthly father, Joseph. He was an adopted kid. And this guy, Joseph, also said, man, I'm going to protect my vulnerable son because Jesus, or Joseph, this guy, Joseph, right, listened to God who told him to take Jesus and Mary and run away to Egypt because the king was going to kill his baby. But then as I thought more about vulnerable children, I couldn't help but think of the life of Moses. If you remember, uh, in, when Moses was born, Pharaoh had put a decree that all baby boys were supposed to be thrown into the Nile and drown because he feared that they might become too powerful. I mean, talk about vulnerability, right? Throwing babies in the Nile. And I don't know about you, but we don't often hear about Moses' parents. You may not be able to name Moses' parents. That was me earlier this week until I looked into this verse. Moses' parents... Uh, here in Exodus 6, we hear their names and we, we get to know who they are. It says, Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. So Moses' mom and dad are Amram and Jochebed. And so because of this edict of the king, Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, had to make a really tough decision. They would need to either obey the king's edict for fear of their lives, or find a way to save their vulnerable son. Obey or find another way. And we read these words in Hebrews eleven twenty three. 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So Moses' father and mother you might say, oh goodness, Amran, Jochebed, man, they were these heroes of the faith who just had this amazing faith. They did have amazing faith, but they were just ordinary people, ordinary mom and dad who had faith in God and a love for their infant son so much that they said, we are going to do everything we can for our vulnerable son. And even if that means we're going to defy the king's edict. And then I love this. We read the rest of this story in Exodus chapter two, verses one through 10. It says, now a man of the tribe of Levi, that's Amram, married a Levite woman, that's Jochebed, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, that's Moses. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister, that's Miriam, 
stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw a basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw that it was a baby and he was crying and she felt sorry for him. And she said, man, this is one of the Hebrew babies. Shall I go get uh, one of the Hebrew women uh, to, to nurse this baby for you? And she said, yes, go. And so the girl went and got the baby's mother and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the children, child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. Check that out. She took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. Now I love this story because there's so many facets to it. Not only do Moses' parents do whatever they can to save their vulnerable son, Pharaoh's daughter also sees a need and meets a need when she comes on this vulnerable Hebrew baby and she adopts him as her own. And I am sure that the Pharaoh's daughter knew about the edict. I bet she knew that if she took this Hebrew baby, she would be defying her dad, the king, to be able to save a vulnerable child. But she saw a need and she met a need. And that's true for us as well. All of these biblical narratives from Samuel to Esther to Jesus to Moses as well, all of these invite us to do the same when we see a need to meet a need. And so today I'm really excited uh, to be able to share some of the ways that you are doing that. So I'm gonna invite Kirsten Criswell, our mission coordinator uh, out here, and she and I are gonna share a little bit of these stories with you. Would you give Kirsten a round of applause, please? You can also uh, cheer for Kyle. He brought up the chairs, you know, that's, that's a lot of work taking the table, you know. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, so I'm excited to be able to share some of the ways, some of the stories that you're making it count. But Kirsten, before we do, um, maybe many in this room don't know a bit of your story. I'm going to move a little closer to you. Um, maybe don't know a little bit of your story and how uh, being a vulnerable child uh, was part of your journey. So would you share a little bit of that with us? Sure. So I think there was different stages in my life of um, vulnerability, and it kind of points eventually to the work of Christ in my life and how he redeemed that. But I did not grow up in a Christian family. And um, in second grade, my parents divorced. So I was living with, you know, now there was single parent realities for our home, living in different counties even. And um, lived, you know, primarily with my mom. And when I was in seventh grade, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. And shortly after she passed away, and in the midst of that, you know, I am the oldest of three girls. Sisters are truly the best. You can argue with me later about that. But I'm the oldest of three girls, also oldest kids, let's be real. But the three of us, we moved into the home with my dad now full time. My dad was an alcoholic. And it's interesting as I reflect back on my life where I feel like in this small town, I grew up in a one stoplight town, very small. I felt like there was this like secret committee 
of believers who knew the vulnerability of my family and took care of us in a lot of ways, acknowledging even though we weren't aware in the home that you know our dad was an alcoholic, I was picked up for school all the time by different people and brought to FCA. I went to every youth group in our community at some point. You know, I was brought in for meals and opportunities to connect. I got to go on vacations with different people who just said, we want to be an additional family to Kirsten. And my sisters would say the same thing. Well, my junior year of high school, my dad um, passed away suddenly from a heart attack. And it's interesting, even as, you know, sitting here and when we talk about vulnerable children, it's helpful for me to remember, like, that was, that's true of my story. And even I remember in a little small town newspaper, there was a headline that said, you know, Chriswell girls now orphaned or something along those lines. I was like, orphan? I was like, so that was my reality. And um, we were able to move in with a kinship uh, family at the time. But again, it was people who showed up for me that did not have to love me, that stood out and ultimately is why I came to know Jesus, right? These people who did not have to have me over for like so many meals, who did not have to um, invite me on their vacations. Or I remember there was a family, the Bell family. They loved Jesus. And their um, oldest daughter would stay up to like midnight or 1 a.m. because Kirsten was a, a procrastinator in high school and would help me with all of my school projects. And eventually it was just like, why? Like, what is the common thread here? And ultimately I came to know Jesus because it was people who did not have to love me that did, who saw me in my vulnerability, saw my sisters in that and um, found their way to make it count that now, you know, we get all three, we, all three of us now know Jesus, live for him. And I think about that secret committee often and how, you know, they were all rallying. They didn't know what they were doing, but it impacted me. And it feels, you know, so unique that God has allowed me at Mission Point now to like make secret committees among you guys. I mean, truly, like we're now having these like secret meetings, not really secret, but, you know, and we're just thinking like, how can we wrap around a kid who needs it? And I think that involves all of us from like the young ones in the room to the ones who are not young anymore in the room. And um, I point back and I think about the way in which that is how God um, saved me. So it's a unique opportunity, the ways in which it counts. And it's part of my story and how I see God using it now. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I think it's pretty amazing that uh, I had a a friend at a previous church who used to say that tricky Jesus, you know, you never know what that tricky Jesus is going to be up to and how he wove things through your story. And now you get to be the conduit for Mission Point and all of us to be able to be a part of the stories of vulnerable kids. And I just think that's, that's an amazing redemptive uh, thing that God does. And it's just, just amazing. So you get to be that conduit for us. You get to hear and curate and be a part of all of the stories that are happening. So why don't we share a couple of them with people? Yeah, I'll start with two. One would be just even thinking about my own story and how, you know, I've been able as a foster parent now to have a care community. And those, the people in that care community acknowledge that I do not have family that lives around here. And so then we have people who are stepping in and they can be my extended family and serve them in that way and any kid that ever comes into my home. So I think that's amazing. Just this last week, I got to meet with a coach in our, in our church who was thinking through, how do I step into this? I have a, you know, a team here that I can rally towards a mission. How can I do that? And so starting next week, um, we will have, this team will be going to Lincoln Elementary where we do love in, where we love on those kids and their staff members. And they're going to show up bi-weekly and meet with some kids who could use some additional support. The principal has a list of kids who could just use another adult in their life. And now that coach is saying, this is what we're going to do. I got to meet with the team and they were like, okay, yes, this is amazing. This is what we're going to do. So I'm excited to see what's going to happen with that. Mm. 
Yeah, and uh, last week, <clears throat> right after the service, uh, we had someone in our church uh, when they heard that kids sleep on the floor at DCS, which is the Department of Child Services, uh, because there isn't necessarily a, place in a, a, a placement for them at that time, was just brokenhearted. Uh, and, you know, talk about what breaks God's heart, breaks our heart. And started counting the rooms in her house and going, how many, how many beds, how many places can we get to sleep, people to sleep in there so that the kids don't have to sleep on the floor in, in DCS. And that's the kind of uh, radical things that we do that are very small and simple, but count when it comes to vulnerable kids. If you've been around for a while, you know that we have been funding life pumps, bringing clean water through design outreach to Zambia. And four of our high school students starting this summer started asking questions of like, hey, how can we do this? We don't have thousands to be sending. We're high school students. What can we do? And they started brainstorming. They got quiet for a while. And they're like, Kirsten, we are ready. And so they are um, working with the high school to start selling coffee at the school, using their influence to bring clean water, to bring funds in, to provide clean water. And it counts because that means more communities now will have access to clean water. And then we also have, uh, we do have these care communities that wrap around foster and adoptive families in difficult situations. And um, about a year ago, we had a, a family in our church who said, hey, we want to do this as a family. Um, and we're not just like my wife and I, but we want to do this as a, as a whole family. And so uh, it was really great. We got them connected and they showed up for this elementary girl and went to soccer games and took this girl on vacation and started developing a really great relationship with them. And then just recently, it uh, became apparent that she would actually need a placement, a place to be and stay. And so that family was able to invite that elementary child into their home, even in just the last few weeks. And we're saying, man, that counts to be able to show up for that one girl in that way and making sure that she, uh, she's not in that vulnerable place anymore, that she has a place of stability in her life. We've been doing on Tuesday nights an MP equip class led by Jeff Guild. And um, one night, uh, one of the people attending that noticed that there was a single parent who had a taillight out. And they quickly found out the contact information, reached out to that parent, and the next day, some car, minor car repairs were made. And we think about that bringing relief to a, a parent who is already navigating a lot of other things and would have taken them maybe a couple, you know, tickets, honestly, until they took care of it, was able to step in and take care of it quickly. Yeah. And many of you are business owners in, in the room. And uh, we've heard a story where we've had a business owner saying, hey, I want to be able to find a way for my employees to be a part of making it count for vulnerable kids. And so said, hey, we're going to carve out time as an organization to go and show up at an, at an Agatas pup-up camp because we want to be influential and impact vulnerable kids. And so we're going to go where it's needed and show up as a team. And that also counts. One of um, our Mission Point family members used their inheritance to bless and make it count for people. So we learned of Sophia Bible School, our partner school in um, Zambia, they needed a hen house. And this person heard about this and their story would be that they inherit money because a relative of theirs was a farmer. And so because of that, um, her ears are always perked when she hears of like agricultural needs happening and stepped in and was able to fund quickly this hen, hen house for the community who was in need of it. That counts. And then I will say, you know, we, we've heard talk a lot about Love Ed, right? Our ministry that works, at, uh, works with the, the teachers and the faculty at, at Lincoln Elementary. And, um, you know, we're always inviting all of you to be a part of that. That's a one way that you make it count, um, but also 
consistency counts. And so there are four volunteers who served at Lincoln last year that are serving there this year. And that continuum of care, year after year after year, man, it counts. So it's not just someone coming in and then leaving, although we'll, we'll, we'll take that, that's for sure. It certainly counts. But man, that continuity of care to be able to have volunteers say, I'm in last year and I'm in this year and we're hoping they're gonna be in again next year and the year after that to say, man, it counts for how we're showing up for vulnerable kids. Engaging with our mission partners is also a key way in which we do this. All of our mission partners are committed to the vulnerable child in some way. Um, just a few weeks ago, we introduced to you our mission partners and our newest one, The Nest. And so today I have Stacey Gagnon from The Nest here to share a little bit more about that. Yes, Woo! Yeah, give, give her, her a round of applause. <clears throat> so The Nest um, provides support here in Kosciuszko County for caregivers who are, have at-risk um, situations in their homes and for their families. And they do this through an upstream care. Um, so, Stacey, we're so glad for you to be here to share a little bit more about The Nest. Yeah, so yeah, would you just kind of tell us like how The Nest got started and what, it, like, what is it that you guys do? Absolutely. So what The Nest does is we provide that village or the secret committee, but we're not secret because that sounds like a cult maybe. But, <laughs> um, no, it's to, to moms. We, um, we recognize that there are all these really bad statistics in Indiana. Like we have twice the child abuse um, record across the nation. We're, we're like really bad. We're number three in the nation for infant mortality. That's a baby dying before the age of one. And so we look at these statistics and we realize that with every statistic is a name. And that's what counts. It counts that there's a name tied to every one of the statistics that we hear. And so the Nest provides mentorship, which is discipleship, a community case manager, and also we provide supplies and things like that for, for moms that are in our county. So you guys do ministry through an upstream avenue. So can you explain a little bit what does that mean that you're working upstream and even how we can be a part of that ministry? There's a really great quote by Desmond Tutu that says, we have to stop looking and pulling people out of the river downstream. We need to look upstream and figure out why they're falling in in the first place. So in this county, when we look at why we have families falling into the river, we all could probably pick things like substance use disorder or domestic violence or poverty or things like that. But what we really need to recognize is that we need to be pushing into family units. We need to be coming alongside of moms before their children are in DCS custody. We need to be coming alongside of children before they start using drugs at an average age of 11, right? We need to start pushing in early so that we are not pulling people out of the river downstream, but we are going upstream. And so the NEST is an upstream model that follows the science and understanding that that early attachment and attunement of a baby is how a child regulates stress and is able to then make good choices when they're adults. Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and so we're in this It Counts uh, series and we've been sharing some of the ways that Mission Point folks are on, uh, making it count. So do you have any stories to share with us about how the nest is making it count or how you've seen even maybe someone, some people in our community making it count? Absolutely. I, you know, when the nest was kind of created, I, I was, wor I work with inmates and um, I had been working with pregnant moms in our inmate facility. And one of the moms asked me to go with our therapist and meet with her daughter just to pre prepare her for her coming home with her newborn brother. Um, I sat on the floor with this eight-year-old and she's sitting just this crisscross applesauce. And, and, and honestly, the picture, if you could just see it, the sun's streaming in and her hair, she's got one of those plastic barrettes and she's coloring. And without looking at me, she says, 
I'm afraid to love my baby brother. And I remember, I'm like, well, why? Why would you be afraid? Like, maybe he'll cry too much. You know, that's what I'm thinking. She's the third grader, right? And she's like, no. My mom can't stay clean, and we can't keep him. So she's going to bring my brother home, and I'm going to love him, but he's going to go away. And that just struck me, because later in the week, I was meeting with these pregnant moms, and one of the women looked at me, and she said, Stacy, you want to know the hardest thing as a mother? And, and jokingly, I said, laundry. <laughs> and she, she looked and she goes, no. The hardest thing that you can ever do as a mother is to look at another woman and know that they can be a better mother than you, that they can give your child more than you ever can. And so you give your baby to that person knowing that that's what we call selfless. The nest and the idea behind this is the understanding that no eight-year-old should sit there and be afraid to love their baby brother. And no woman should sit there and think, it is selfish of me to keep my child. Instead, we provide a village, we provide discipleship, and walk alongside of women and eight-year-old little girls so we don't have generational issues, and we say, we will be your village. We will help you parent. We will help you give your child what you need. And if mom fails, because it's messy work, if mom fails, we're there to catch that baby and that eight-year-old. And so that's what the nest is, and that's how it was developed and designed, was to be that village and that space for these moms. So none of us have to sit there and listen to this eight-year-old or listen to this mom saying that it's selfish to keep a baby. Stacey, we're so excited to join in on this effort with you. And, you know, hearing about the nest, it was like a no-brainer. Like, this is a mission point thing. And so you'll be able to meet with Stacy and her team outside um, after the service to learn more, to sign up. There's ways to mentor these moms, provide some of the tangible needs that they might have. But thank you. Thank you so much, Stacy, for sharing some of your time this morning. Thank you all. Yeah. Did you give her a round of applause? <clears throat> Pretty amazing. Uh, well, as we get ready to close, uh, the reality is we've just shared quite a few stories with you um, of, of the way that people in this church and in our community are making it count. And I wish we had time to hear all of your stories because the reality is, is that I'm sure in a room this size that you can say, oh yeah, I can tell you a story of how someone made it count for me, just like with Kirsten, Right. And although we don't have time to do that today, uh, I do want to ask you to do something that may be a little bit uncomfortable, uh, but I'm gonna, I, I think it will be impactful for us. And so I'm going to ask you, some of you to stand in certain categories uh, here in just a moment to see how other people made an impact on you. And so would you be willing to stand if uh, someone impacted you, impacted your life when you were 18 or older that wasn't your mom or dad? Would you be... 18, sorry, 18 or younger, thank you. 18 or younger, uh, that wasn't your mom and dad. Would you, would you be willing to stand and say, hey, there was somebody that invested in my life when I was 18 or under that wasn't my mom and dad? And maybe for you, uh, maybe uh, foster and adoption has been a, uh, made an impact in your life. Maybe for you, uh, you, know, you adopted or you were adopted or someone fostered you, or maybe you've been able to walk alongside a family or a friend uh, who's gone through the adoption process, or you're in a care crew or something where you're actually wrapping around a foster family, those kind of things. Would you be willing to stand if, you've, if, if that's been a part of your journey uh, of fostering and adopting?
No, you can stay, remain standing, remain standing. Everybody remain standing. And then I'd like to invite you, if, 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 you, uh, if someone loved you enough to share the gospel of Jesus with you, would you be willing to stand? If someone loved you enough to say, I want to show you and sh- I want to show and share the love of Jesus with you. And the beauty of this picture, right, is that what someone did for you, it counts. It counted. It counted in your life and it will count in the lives of those that vulnerable kids where we show up, where we offer hope, 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 help, and home for them. And so in a moment, we're going to take a moment where you're actually going to get to take that homework and you're going to actually be able to say, hey, this is where I'm putting a marker down. Or this is where we're actively already doing this because what we're doing for the vulnerable kids in our community and around the world, it counts because it counted for you. And one day, one day we hope and pray that there's a room like this where people are standing saying, you all showed up for us. You made those things happen. You did something to make it count in my life. And we all have an opportunity to do that. And it is our heart and our desire that every single one of us can do that. Again, we won't all do the same thing, but we can all do something. So let's take a moment to pray. God, we thank you. We thank you what this visual means, that there is someone in our life that walked alongside us, whether it's a, uh, someone who walked beside us when we were younger, as we walk, somebody, maybe there's adoption or foster stories in here or ways that we're able to walk alongside friends and family who are adopting and fostering, or even ways where someone who said, you need to know the greatest gift you could ever receive, and that's Jesus. And it all counts, God. You want to use us to further your kingdom. And so God, today we get the opportunity to celebrate that and to put a stake in the ground, a marker moment to say, this is how we're gonna move forward in the future. And God, we count it a privilege and we say thank you for giving this task to us by charging us with loving and caring for the vulnerable children so that one day, maybe that number of 153 million orphans will significantly drop and be reduced to zero. And so God, that's our dream in our heart. And so we praise you and we thank you We ask that you would continue to move in this service and move in our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's message. We hope to see you next Sunday. We would love to personally invite you to one of our services at 9 and 1045 a.m. in the Performing Arts Center in Warsaw Community High School at One Tiger Lane in Warsaw, Indiana. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, review, and connect with us on social media by following Mission Point CC. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Mission Point. Simply visit missionpoint.net slash give and give a gift today. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week.